Would you open your Bibles to the book of Genesis in chapter number 6. Genesis in chapter number 6. <clears throat> I told the Sunday school class, Southwest Bible class, that I've been enjoying Genesis so much. If you're in an adult Sunday school class, you should be in Genesis somewhere. If you're in Brother Perkle's class, chapter 1. <laughs> Joking. Right. Joking. Little. I told him I'm enjoying it so much I wanted to go back and revisit uh, some in Genesis and preach about Noah this morning. So chapter number six, if you have that, you follow along as I read a very familiar story, very familiar passage. And uh, maybe we'll see some, some new things and some old things out of it this morning. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took uh, them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. An ominous uh, prophecy right here. Now there were giants in the earth in those days. And after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? But Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before, corrupt before the Lord, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way before the Lord. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shall them make in the ark, and shall pitch it within, without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, third stories shalt thou make it. Behold I, even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die but with thee. Will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou, and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy wife's sons with thee. Sons, wives with thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word, for the music, for the Sunday school hour. 
Would you bless as we look in your word, a familiar passage. I pray that it wouldn't be so familiar. We wouldn't pay attention to what you have for us. So bless. May we have listening ears. Speak to hearts. Any who may not know Christ in this room, I pray that you'd convict them of their need for salvation. And the rest of us who know you, would you not speak to us? We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I'm going to look at these three things having to do with Noah in this passage. I want to look at Noah's world, Noah's faith, and then Noah's ark. Now, if you're like me, you have on more than one occasion in your life been in anticipation of a future event. Wondering, is it ever really going to happen? You remember like going to grade school, like fourth grade and your first day of school, you know, you had your cigar box with your number two pencils in there and you sat down at your desk and the teacher probably said something like something like this. Before you know it, this school year is going to be over. She don't know nothing. <laughs> you knew better. There's 180 days in this school year. And it's never going to be over. But you made it. It came. Maybe in this room right now, there's a girl who knows exactly how many days, hours before her wedding day. And she's been anticipating it since she was about 12. Wondering, is it ever really going to happen? Is it ever going to get here? Am I going to ever be married? Yes. It'll happen. Maybe you're counting down the days to high school graduation, college graduation. And maybe your uh, professor or teacher, administrator said something like, now you only get to be here four years. And it's going to fly by. Oh, my. Four years. <laughs> Sounds like a long time. Maybe there's a lady here that's how do I put this politely with child great with child that's a very Bible term nine months oh my word nine months it'll get here he won't stay in there forever you will give birth that long anticipated event will come all of us have had those feelings because we looked into the future at some event that was promised and we anticipated it. And we even began to wonder, is it ever going to happen? But we did have summer vacation after fourth grade. And the wedding day did arrive. And, and uh, we did make it through four years of school or high school or college. And, and the baby did come eventually. And so you know that idea while you're in the process of waiting. If you're not careful, you even lose hope. You begin to think, this may never happen. Now, all of us experience that every now and then when we think about, for instance, uh, the return of Christ. Brother Gaddis has been preaching on that. Jesus promised he would return in the rapture for his saints. Did he not? Amen. He promised it. Yes. We see it mirrored, some of that mirrored for us some, uh, in the book of Genesis here in this chapter uh, with Noah. We see a little bit of, 
of shadows of that, don't we? Jesus promised that it would happen. But have you ever not in the quiet of your own mind wondered, I don't know about this. I don't know if this is really going to happen. And maybe in the process of waiting, your faith maybe would waver just a little. Maybe it is a myth. Maybe those who are scoff about it and talk about it, you know, in a derogatory terms and laugh about such things. Maybe they're right and I'm wrong. Maybe all this waiting has caused me to lose hope. I'm wondering how Noah felt. Waiting on a flood that God told him over a hundred years before it happened, that's going to happen. Don't you know there were times when he hit his thumb real hard? Man, you ever done that? There's no pain. I don't care, ladies. There's no pain <laughs> to compare that thumb. I mean, he wasn't necessarily... <laughs> A professional boat builder. He'd never even seen a boat. And don't you know there were times in the process of all that went on as he's building a boat and he's wondering, you know, I'm just, the sky is clear as if that matters because I've never seen rain anyway. Is all this really going to happen? And I wonder if you ever stood back and look at that big monstrosity in his yard and just thought, I don't even know if this is going to float. And I just think I'm just going to quit. Have you ever noticed this about this relationship between God and Noah, that God gave instructions to Noah to build a boat and was silent for over a hundred years. No more word. No more message. No more keep it up, Noah, you're doing good. No more pat on, no more just, just hang on. None of that. And yet, until it was time to enter the ark, God said not a word. A word. Noah was a man of great faith. First, I want to look at his world. The world where we find Noah, this the situation that we're looking at here in chapter number six. And you would, you would understand because you know this story as it says in verse number five that the wickedness of man was great. And since God does not exaggerate, we read just in this passage that we read more than once the word, the, the term either wicked or violent or evil. I'm just telling you, obviously God does never exaggerate in the scripture. So when we get to Noah and he begins to describe the, the great wickedness that this planet was under and how rotten and corrupt it was, you can mark it down. This is probably the most wicked we've ever seen mankind. It's evil and it's violent and it's rotten and it's corrupt. And how did it get that way? How did this how did we go from Adam to Noah and find ourselves with a population Almost 100% evil, as he puts it, evil continually. Man's heart is evil continually. How did we get there? And it's simple. Anytime a society leaves God out, you get this. 
Well, can't we have a society that's moral and, and, and acts moral and lives moral and judges uh, in moral ways and not have God? No, because you're ignoring the source of right and wrong and morality itself. A society that leaves God out cannot exist. It is the very basis of our laws and how we live is this knowledge of God. We believe that God was created in his image or that man was created in God's image. And because we were created in God's image, is that not the basis of how we view life or should view life? The further we get from that, the further we get from this idea that I was made in his image and you were made in his image, the further we get from that, the easier it is to accept abortion. The easier it is to accept doctor-assisted suicide. The easier it is to allow the disabled and the useless as we may see them and the imperfect as we may see them. The easier it is to just sit back and watch them die because after all, if you leave God out of society, there's no basis for mor morality. You know, there's no basis for our laws. And if you leave God out, eventually what you have is corruption and wickedness and violence. And that's where Noah finds himself. God wasn't even in their thoughts. He wasn't even, he wasn't even in their thought process. Listen to how Matthew or Jesus in the book of Matthew described what was going on in Noah's day. For as in the days that were before the flood, he said this, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. That doesn't sound so bad. They were just doing stuff that everyone does. How about Sodom? Well, God destroyed Sodom because it was wicked. And most of us in this room would say, well, God destroyed Sodom because of their perversion, their sexual perversion. They're, we even use the word sodomy to describe uh, uh, what happened there. And that pervert, because of their perversion, God wiped them out. Well, that's partially true. But listen to what Ezekiel said. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness that were in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. What happened in Sodom is the same thing that God is describing. What happened in Noah's day is this. They left God out of their minds. Nothing to do with God. He wasn't even in their thought processes, in, his, in their everyday life, their thought process at all. They just simply let him out. As, as Jesus said, they went about their business of eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Sodom full of pride and fullness of bread. In other words, they had everything they needed. Why do they need God? And any time a society is going to leave God out, eventually the same thing is going to happen. Violence, corruption, wickedness. And this wickedness that we see in Noah's day, it was great because they forsook God. But they continued on with their lives, their business, their work, their pleasure, as if God either he does not exist or if he does exist, he certainly doesn't matter. I'm reminded of that 
every time Christmas comes around. Now, I like Christmas. Don't send me any emails. I'm a Christmas guy. Bring me all the presents you want. That's fine. I'll eat. That's great. It's not, I'm not anti-Christmas. Here's the problem. And you know, and I know, we'll sing Christmas carols. I like them. I get, I get a tear in my eye. I like them. Manger scenes. We'll give. Say hi to people normally we would ignore. That's Christmas spirit. <laughs> right? But I don't know about you. On the 26th, all that's going back in the box. I'm done. <laughs> I'm over it. Tree, back in the box. Uh, decorations, back in the box. I don't want to hear a Christmas music on the 26th. No, you know, by the fire, none of that. <laughs> I'm done. And we live in a society that's kind of like that. When, when we need God, when, when something like Christmas comes up, we'll bring him out. But when it's over, we put him back in the box on the shelf. And, and maybe when, uh, when a tragedy takes place, when, a, when, when the tornado comes through more, of course. <laughs> when 9-11 happens, when there's a bombing, when something shakes us. We better get God out and dust him off and pray to him and be thankful to him and use him again. But when the danger passes, back on the shelf. That is what's happening in Noah's day. No need, no need. In fact, in verse number five, notice what it says. Those first three words, those are pretty tough words. God saw. Hmm. You mean God was watching the wickedness, the violence, the evil thoughts, the corruption? They weren't getting by with it? No, all of it God saw. Think of that. God's fully aware of what was happening in his creation. Nothing was going on under the radar that somehow God didn't see or he was unobservant or he didn't know about. Proverbs 5, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. And you know, and I know, we, we live our lives so many times that as the kid who gets in the cookie jar, it's proverbial, but yet real. If you've raised children, you've experienced this. They don't, they don't know that sound waves travel past the room they're in. And when they're getting in the cookie jar, doing something they're not supposed to do, and, and you hear it from a different room, and they're caught, and they think, well, mom and dad can't see me. I guess since they can't see me, they can't hear me either, and so I'm going to do what I'm not, I'm not supposed to do. No, you, you know, moms can see everything. They can hear everything. Well, you think you're going to do something that God can't see? You're going to be something that God can't see? You're going to hide somewhere that God cannot see your sin. Now, you may hide your sin from me and from your husband or your wife or your best friend or from everybody else. But there's one person that you'll never hold your hide your sin from. And that's God. Amen. Now, you may be slick and you may be sly and your name may never be called by the principal to come to the office. And everybody knows, man, you get by with everything but you don't pull the wool over God's eyes. 
Psalm 139, O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my rising. Understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with my ways. He's saying, God, I have no skeletons in my closet you don't know about. There's no deep secrets, God, that I'm somehow hiding from you. And God is just and he's holy. And his holiness demands his justice. But you know what else we see in this passage? Something that sometimes we forget. And we see his patience. Say, man, this is a miracle. It's a miracle that God was able to save Noah through this worldwide flood. Well, that's a miracle, but here's a bigger one. That he allowed a world that forsook him over a hundred years to get their hearts right. God is so patient. God knows our sin. He knows our failures. He's just in the way he deals with us and with all men. But aren't you glad this too, that God is patient? Brother Willoughby was leading our music this morning in, in our class and he mentioned about watching the news and how depressing it is. And it is, isn't it? It's depressing. There's wickedness everywhere and violence and this is happening and that is happening. And it's, have you ever not said, God, why do you do this? Why do you allow this to go on? God, why don't you intervene? Why do you allow people to forget you and be so wicked? And God, why do you allow governments to do this? And why do you allow people to abuse each other? And God, why do you, why do you, why do you, why do you? And I just, I just have to stop every now and think, wait a minute. God was patient with me. He was patient with me. And it frustrates us so many times when we look around at the world that mocks God. And it's almost like God just not listening. He's not watching. God, why don't you take care of those people? I'm so glad he didn't take care of me. I'm so glad he was patient and kind with me. I'm so glad he was long-suffering with me. And the, I can't be the beneficiary of God's patience and then not want that same patience to go to others. This world that God saw and yet was patient was a wicked and violent world. And if we could add something maybe worse on top of it, this world... You know what it says in verse number four five, and five, starting with verse two, the sons of God. If you were in Sunday school, your teacher tried to help maybe clear up some of the fuzziness about who were the sons of God and the daughters of men and the giants. You know, and I, I told my class, I believe you, I, there was a time I wrote a paper that that was how Bigfoot got here. I don't think that was true. But it sounded good at the time. That the, like angels came down and this. And I don't really think it had anything to do with angels. And I'm not exactly sure maybe what it is. But it does seem this. From those verses. That we have a group of people here. The sons of God. He's referring to maybe some godly people. From godly families. And without any discrimination. 
They just married whom they chose. And as Barnes, in his notes, put it, not for the godliness of their lives, but for the goodliness of their looks. There were people that knew better. There were people that knew better. But rather than live their lives for him like Noah, rather than live a righteous life, they began to choose amongst the daughters of men, amongst those who didn't uh, have time for God. They began to choose wives and all of a sudden the generations are going. It's not as if Noah was the only man on the face of the earth who had an understanding of God. He's hinting to us there were others. But rather than live for what's right and stand for what's right, they went along with the society around them. So which is worse, a wicked society that has no use for God or those that know him and yet choose to go with the flow of the culture? When God, remember, destroyed Sodom and he had a conversation with Abraham, what did God and Abraham finally work out? Ten. If you get to Sodom and there's ten righteous Would you not save it for 10's sake? God said, I'll do it. If I find 10 righteous. Well, Abraham thought he had it made because he had Lot and his wife and his children and their husbands and their wives. There was certainly more than 10 relatives right there. And God wouldn't destroy Sodom. But you know what happened. Those that knew better were more concerned about fitting in with Sodom than leading their own family to God. Noah's world was wicked. Probably more than anything that we understand. But yet we see number two, his faith. Think about this. What was it that bought Noah a passage on that boat? It says he was just and perfect. Just and perfect. That doesn't mean he perfectly holy or free from sin. But as one writer put it, he was a partaker of the true grace of God, sincere and upright, lived an unblemished life. He wasn't tainted with the corruptions in the age which he lived. It says he walked with God. Just like his predecessor, Enoch, he had a real relationship with God. He genuinely had a walk, what we return, a walk with God, a relationship with God. And all those things were outgrowth of his faith. Hebrews chapter 11, listen to what it says. By faith, Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned of God as things not seen yet. Moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By which he was condemned the world, became an heir to the righteousness, which is by faith. Think of this. Noah showed faith in God when at a time where it wasn't near as easy as it is for you and me. No Bible. He had no Bible. He had nowhere to turn when things were tough. He had nowhere to look for guidance. He had no Bible. He had no Christian community. We can come to church and we can uh, rub shoulders with each other and pray with each other and and have a Christian community as a church. He didn't have that. He had no church. He had no pastor. He had no history of great men of faith and women of faith to look back on, to get to be refreshed and to be encouraged. He had none of the things that you and I have to help us grow our faith. Yet somehow he believed God. Somehow he had faith in God. And this distant event 
that's over a hundred years away, he held on to with faith. Now he held on to that much longer than anything you and I will hold on to. Well, I'm, is Jesus going to come? Well, yes, the Bible's clear he's going to come. You really believe that's going to happen? I really believe it's going to happen because the Bible says. But he hadn't come yet. I've been in church my whole life, which is at least 30 years. <laughs> at least, I said. And they've been talking about that ever since I can remember. Preachers have been preaching about it and they got all hot and sweaty and talked about it and preached about it and scared us about it. And I went to camp and they did it there too. But he's coming any minute, but he hadn't come yet. Maybe he's not going to come. Think of Noah. There was no outward evidence that would help Noah believe that there would be a flood. No rain. No floods. Not anything close to rain or close to a flood. All he had was the word of God. All he had was God's message. And in spite of everything and how everything looked, he believed. I, I can't be, help but be convicted. I want that kind of faith. Amen. A faith that holds to God's word regardless of what things look out around me. You know, I think we can have that kind of faith. We can believe that God will do what he said he's going to do all the time, every time, regardless how things look at the time. We can do it. And can you imagine that the, the uh, course of events was against the truth of what Noah was believing? In other words, history. Nothing had happened. Things had gone on unchanged. In fact, in 2 Peter, he put it this way. Knowing this first, there shall come in the last day scoffers whack, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? They were saying that back then. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. They're just saying the same thing we hear today. Hey, things have been going on like this for all these years. God's never intervened. Nothing's ever happened. And they're forgetting that he has. He did with Noah. And every now and then he still reminds us, doesn't he? He still shakes us every now and then. A natural disaster comes our way. A 9-11 comes our way. A war comes our way. Something happens just in your life that no one knows about. And it causes you to look up and remember he will fulfill his promise. Last night I was thinking this. I wonder if there was CNN back in Noah's day. Would they not be live at that boat every chance they got? Interviewing Noah with a bandage on his thumb. Here we are live with Noah. Noah, tell us about this boat you're building. Well, God told me he's going to flood the whole earth. Really, how long ago did he tell you that? Almost 100 years ago. Well, we, we haven't seen any indication that that's going to happen. In fact, I have our expert with us, Dr. Looney. 
Dr. I.M. Looney. That's from VBS, if you weren't here. Dr. Looney, what do you think about the possibility of a flood? And he could pontificate for hours and hours how this, nothing like that has ever happened around here. And there's no way it would ever happen. And God, if he does exist, would certainly never destroy the world. Can you imagine the scorn and the ridicule he faced every day as children made funny songs about Noah and his boat and their children and their children and their children and their children. For generations it went on and all would be heightened by the delay. Generations came and went, no flood, time passed, no change, yet Noah continued to build and to preach and to warn. And then we get to the last and that's Noah's boat. It was seaworthy evidently. If you read a little bit, you'll find that the ark that Noah built could hold as much cargo as 522 railroad cars. Noah, who was not an experienced, evidently, shipbuilder or architect or carpenter, who had only cordless tools, had no Lowe's, had no Home Depot. I cannot, men, feel my pain. If I have a project at my house of the smallest nature, it's at least five trips to the hardware store. At least. Can you imagine Noah and his sons week after week and year after year and decade after decade building this boat? And he followed God's instructions. And he built a vessel that stayed afloat through the biggest storm that's ever hit this planet. Don't you know there were plenty of people who doubted if there was a flood, if there was water around there, that this thing would float. And as the rain began to come and began to hit the ground and, and maybe built up as the waters from underneath the earth began to come and as water began to rise, don't you know those same people, they went about, uh, I'm sure, hurriedly to construct their own vessels. But only one rode on top of the waves. Only one could stand the wind and the rain and only one held together as God poured out his judgment on the world. Let me ask you something, where do you run when the wind blows and the water rises in your life? Where do you run when life happens? And it happens to all of us. The phone rings. For all of us. The doctor's report comes in all of our lives. The bad news, the heartache, the trial, the storms, they come in all of our lives. Where do you run? You watch around, you look around at people that you know and you rub shoulders with and you'll see what happens. Many of them try to build their own boat. The storm comes because the storm always comes. It comes in everybody's life. Rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Wise, foolish, doesn't matter. The storm comes and people begin to build their own boats and they try to muster up the courage and somehow ride it out and they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and they, they do for themselves. They're going to figure this out and they're going to make it through somehow and some cliches and some good sayings and somehow they're going to ride the waves. Maybe they're going to seek out some popular expert or some opinion or from someone to handle some stress or some religious system or some meditation or whatever it takes to get you through. 
But can I tell you, there's only one. There's only one seaworthy vessel. There's only one vessel that's going to carry you through the storms of life. There's only one that's going to take you from earth to heaven. And the songwriter couldn't have put it any better when he called it that old ship of Zion. That old ship, can I tell you, has carried countless believers through storms and flood. Believers have faced the shadow of death. And they may have had tears and they may have been heartbroken, but that old ship carried them through the waves. And not one person, not one person has ever found that that old ship could not carry them safely to the other side. No one's ever been disappointed in that old ship. And many who were distraught found comfort on that old ship. And many who were afraid have found peace on that old ship. And many who have been confused have found calm on that old ship. And can I tell you, no one who ever sought passage on the old ship of Zion was turned back. Noah preached for a hundred years to whoever would listen. And I can have just picture him saying, I've got room on this boat. I got room for you on this boat and you can be saved because there's a storm coming and all you have to do is get on this boat and you can be saved. And can I tell you, God did not refuse. You read this passage and you see all the people, the vast humanity that died and drowned in this flood. And in your heart, you're wondering, can I help you? God did not refuse one soul that wanted to get on that boat. Not one, but eventually he closed the door. Don't you remember when you got on that boat? Don't you remember when you trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? What a great day. And aren't you glad God didn't turn you away? Aren't you glad he didn't say your name wasn't on the passenger list? Aren't you glad he didn't say, I'm sorry, it's full. It was open to whoever wanted to get on. But then God locked it. The Bible says after Noah and his family got on this boat. And all these animals made their way on this boat. That he closed, he, God, closed the door. At that point, the offer to get on board was over. And those that were on the outside had to face the storm alone. In verse number two, we read, he said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to deal with man and I'm going to convict him and I'm going to call him and I'm going to offer him a ride on this boat. But the time's going to come when I'm going to lock the door and there's not going to be any more opportunities. If you're in this room and you don't know Christ, if you're in this room and you've never received Christ as your Savior, can I tell you this? God has the door open for you. But it won't always be open. His spirit won't always strive. He calls you to repent today. He calls you today to salvation. But someday, the door is going to be closed. The Bible says all of us are going to die. Every one of us. Then it's going to be too late to decide. I'd like to receive Christ now. No, the door's going to be locked. And aren't you glad it was 
God that locked the door. God, think of it this way, God locked Noah and his family in. When you got on the old ship of Zion, when you received Christ as your Savior, God locked you in and there's nothing going to get you. There's nothing going to get you off that boat. There's no storm. There's no flood. There's nothing that could come your way. No storm is big enough. This devil's not strong enough. Nothing you could ever face could somehow break that door. God locked it. You remember when the disciples were on a boat? There's a lot. You read in the scripture, there's a lot of good and bad things happened on boats. Disciples are on a boat. And they're on the sea and a storm comes and they fear for their lives while Jesus is sleeping. And they frantically wake Jesus up and, and rudely say, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care about us? We're all about to drown out here. What they didn't understand was this. There wasn't a storm big enough to sink that boat. Because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. And I don't care what happens in between, we're going to make it. Sometimes the devil whispers, if you're not careful, in your ear. Even if you're on that old ship of Zion. Ah, you're not going to make it. Let your friends laugh and ridicule. You're on the old ship of Zion. And let the wind howl, let the waves crash. And when your friends forsake you and your enemies hate you and you say goodbye even to some that you love, can I tell you that old ship, it's going to carry you safely through. Well, how do I get on that old ship? Well, the same way Noah did. Same way all those before us did. Same way all those in this room who know Christ did. By grace, through faith, you can't buy a ticket. It's not for sale. You can't be good enough to earn a ticket. Somehow I'm going to be so good that God can't help but put me on the ship. Somehow I'm going to be so good. God can't help but let me into heaven. No, you can't buy one. You can't get one from a priest, a preacher, your parents, the Pope, your church. Nobody's going to be able to give you one. You can't hope you have one. Listen to the words. O soul seeking down neath sin's merciless wave, the strong arm of our captain is mighty to save. Amen. Then trust him today, no longer delay, board the old ship of Zion and shout on your way, Jesus saves. Amen. That faith that Noah demonstrated way back building a boat that's the faith it takes to get to heaven, to trust Christ. It's also the same faith that carries us through life. Do you know him? Can I ask you this? Do you know him today? Are you on that old ship believer? Do you still trust him? Boy, that, that rapture, man, that's way out there. I don't know. Man, I've got things that's happened in my life. Storms come my way. I don't know if God's going to be able to do that. I don't know if God can help me, if he can carry me through these times that I'm facing. And I, I just don't know if my faith is as strong as perhaps Noah's was. Aren't you glad that someday 
And the Bible's true. Someday all this waiting will be over. Faith will become sight. That which we've waited will come to pass. Are you ready? One thing that about this passage as I was teaching through this, it, it, I didn't really catch this before and I've certainly been around long enough to be, read this story and preach Noah many, many times. One thing that I didn't notice was this, God didn't tell Noah to go into the ark. He didn't say, Noah, get in there. Noah, time to go on the ark. Nope. He said this, Noah, come. Come into the ark. Chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said unto Noah, Come, thou, and all thy house into the ark. Well, what does that must mean? That he was there. Amen. And he's inviting Noah to come and be with him in the ark. Noah wasn't riding those waves on his own. He was in the ark with God. That same invitation that God gave Noah is the same one he gives. Come. Come. Has that not always been his invitation? You need salvation? Does he say do something? Does he say go somewhere? Does he say be something? Does he say follow some creed? Does he say do this, do that, follow this, be that, back, go here? No, he doesn't say any of that. He says this, come to me. Come. Need salvation? Come. Need help? Come. Need guidance? Come. Need peace? Come. Need strength? Come. Need hope? Come. Need joy? Come. That same invitation. He gave Noah the same one he's given this morning. If you don't know him, come to him. It's open. The door's open. If you're a believer and you need help and you need peace and you need guidance and, and things are, aren't going the way you wish they had and you just need, you don't even know what you need. Can I just tell you his offer is the same. Just come. Come unto me, he said, all ye that labor and are heavy, and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. No man that cometh to me, he said, will I cast out. Come. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you've never received Christ. Maybe you don't have that faith in him. He says the same thing to you. The door is open now. And he's never refused anyone passage. All you got to do is come. As a believer, I'm like you. So many times when things come my way that I'm not sure how to deal with, I'm trying to build boats out of things that aren't going to float. I'm scrambling around trying to figure things out. I'm going to do it my way and I've got enough to handle this and I'm going to this and I'm going to that. And I got it, don't worry about it. When all I have to do is come to him. Come to him for peace and for help and for guidance. Come to him. He, why wouldn't I when he offers? You can come to me. This morning maybe God's spoken to you in some way. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe something you're facing right now is more difficult than you know how to handle can I tell you this? We don't know how to handle anything without him. You can come this morning. We'll have people here that take a Bible and give you any kind of counsel. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we would 
take the opportunity. We would love to take the opportunity to show you how to receive Christ this morning. And it would be the greatest day of your life and it'd bring us all joy. Would you bow your heads with me? Can I ask you a question before we have a time of invitation? Is there anyone who would say, Brother Ted, this I know. I may not be everything I should be. I'm not, maybe I don't have the faith of Noah. But I know there was a time I received Jesus as my Savior. I know I'm on that old ship of Zion, if you put it that way. I know, I'm, uh, I know I'm saved. I know I'm on my way to heaven because I received Christ as my Savior. Not because I've been religious or joined a church somewhere, or had somebody say something over me, or been baptized, none of those things. But because I've received Christ, I know I'm saved. If that's your testimony this morning, would you lift your hand? If that's your testimony, thank you. All over, I see hands. Thank you. Is there one that would say, would you pray for me, Brother Ted? I'm not sure. I'm not really sure about that. I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned enough to just have you pray for me. I won't come and, and talk to you unless you want me to or anything like that. But I wouldn't want to pray for you. Is there one say, pray for me, Brother Ted? I'm not sure of my salvation. I'm concerned about it. Is there one? Pray for me. Yes, I see your hand. Any others? Any others? Is there a believer in this room who say, Brother Ted, I, there are things in my life. They're like storms. They're like floods. And I've been guilty of trying to figure a way out of it, build my own boat, scramble around, do it on my own, when all the time I can just come to him. I can just come to Jesus. And, I, and, and today, would you pray with me that this I'm, thing I'm facing, this event, this thing, this illness, this need I'm facing, would you pray with me that I come to Jesus with that? Any hands that way? Yes, yes, all over. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your word. As we have a time of invitation, I pray that if you've spoken to hearts this morning, maybe some don't know Christ, maybe others have needs that they just need to bring to you, I pray that in our time of invitation they would come and that we would be able to share with them if need be, or maybe they just want to come to the altar and pray. However, you've spoken to hearts. I pray this morning you'd have your will done. In Jesus' name, amen.